You're listening to The Extra Real with Jerry Brown and Colin Ryan for a look at the bigger picture of film. With films from around the world. Through the decades. From movies you know and love. To movies you need to discover. So this week, uh, myself and Jer will be discussing um, John Sayles' 1988 baseball film, Eight Men Out, which is about the 1919 Chicago White Sox scandal. Coming up in this episode, we talk about the diverse career that John Sayles has had. We highlight one of his best films. We also talk about the casting process. You'll hear a brief overview of other films in the baseball genre. We reveal the innovative techniques he used to film a period drama on a modest budget. We highlight key scenes. We speak a little bit about John Cusack. So back to the episode. A.K.A. the Black Sox scandal. A.K.A. the Black Sox scandal. Apparently the the name Black Sox actually doesn't come from this though. They were apparently called the Black Sox a few years before this because as we'll see in the in the film's plot the um the owner wouldn't pay to get their uniforms cleaned so the uniforms would always be really dirty and dark so they became known as kind of the black socks yeah that's brilliant yeah so that is that's essentially the plot basically isn't it it's about a bunch of guys who on it on the team who decide to throw the games in the world series in itself sounds like any other random sports film what distinguishes this from all the others that we've seen i think it's rare to see a sports film where um people are going to throw a game as big as this because the world series is obviously it's uh, best of nine games um you know obviously around that time they were the best team but apparently after this i don't think they reached another world series the chicago white Sox, for a number number of years like the 50s or 80s or something I know very little about baseball, so yeah. as I'm sure you do. Um, but I think what makes this different is it's really, really interesting ensemble piece. You know, um, begins for example with these two kids going to a ball game, and um, there's an excellent kind of the way that the the director introduces all the players is really brilliantly done. I think it's excellent, like to manage such an ensemble and introduced so many characters so quickly is amazing i think it's brilliant yeah um do you want to talk a bit about how he does that yeah i guess uh well he does it at the start where you have all the kind of the players like as they're coming in and out of going to bat or pitching or whatever and they have their talk amongst themselves so you kind of get introduced to them that way but then also there's an excellent kind of opening like not opening but it's probably in the first 15 minutes it's kind of bar scene where you have the whole team around and they all kind of hang out in different cliques and clusters. And you see the guys who are like, you know, really into the sport. The other guys who are like, hmm, like life isn't about like just winning and losing. It's about working the angles, things like that. And the guys who drink loads of alcohol, the guys who don't, all these little things, the guys who are family men, the guys who aren't, all these little things. It's really, really The rich versus the poor. Yes, definitely. And all their backgrounds everything like that like there's a one player who's kind of known as college boy yeah and he's constantly reminded of this which is really cool so this is directed by john sales who you know he has quite a reputation he's you know a notable writer yeah. a notable director um and this is 
you know, I haven't seen one of his films for quite a while, actually. And it was great to go back and revisit this. I'd seen Major One and, you know, he's had distinguished films like Passion Fish and Lone Star. But this was a real breath of fresh air. As I say, in the, you know, in the, the broad scheme of... Um, of, of baseball films there's a lot like any like i'm not a baseball fan so anytime i see baseball films i go yeah this is probably a crock of shit and uh, <laughs> you know and i kind of avoid it there are a handful that i really like and that you know films like bull durham would be yeah. one field of dreams which covers some of the same ground yes. but in a more fairy tale like way yeah. so i suppose that was my gateway drug to this but um I probably think that this is a better film, but that's no disrespect to Field of Dreams. The Natural as well, which is, you know, schmaltzy, but it's got Super it's a beautiful looking film. It is. It's a beautiful it looking is. film. And look, you know, anything with Robert Redford is very usually fairly earnest, and that one definitely is. But the cast in this is is just incredible. Oh my God, it's amazing. Um, I, have, I had to write it all down because there's so many people in this. Um, so you've got John John Cusack as Buck Weaver, Charlie Sheen as Half Flesh, Clifton James as the owner, Charles Kaminsky. Uh, Michael Lerner as Arnold Rothstein, who's one of these kind of big racketeers involved in involved in the scandal. Uh, Christopher Lloyd and Ricklin Edson as Bill Burns and uh, Bully Mar- Malberg, respectively. Um, Bill Burns kind of this kind of like ex player, but he's trying to get all these players in on on like, will you take a die for the money? He's he they're excellent the two of them. They're kind of like the kind of comic relief, I guess, within the yeah. film. Um, John Mahoney, who who people would know as the the dad from Fraser, as Kid Gleason, who's the manager, um, David Strathairn as Eddie Eddie Scotty, who's like he's like the kind of the kind of the star kind of pitcher, um, and he's been in a lot of John Sales stuff as well. He's kind of that kind of stoic good guy, but then when he gets screwed over by the owner, uh, uh, Charles Kaminsky, played by Clifton James, when he gets screwed over by him, he decides, oh, you know what, I'm going to take a dive as well. Um, D.B. Sweeney as uh, Shoeless Joe Jackson who's he's kind of an actor I hadn't really didn't really know much about to be honest okay I've seen him in like Lonesome Dove he plays Dish Boggett in that yeah but what a great performance as Shoeless Joe yeah and Shoeless Joe is kind of like he's kind of like he's a star player but as a person he grew up really really poor and had to leave school early so he's illiterate as well yeah so he kind of is has kind of that kind of he's kind of like this kind of amazing player but when he's off the pitch normal life just is really tough for him yeah and he relies on the wife and stuff like that just getting back to the cast the cast is just incredible i mean you've got john anderson as judge mountain landis and actually anderson went on to play landis again in a tv movie of babe ruth oh wow a couple of years later and on top of that so anderson people will probably know from things like psycho he's also in soldier blue you know he's a prolific actor in his own right Clifton James, when he popped up, I was going, wow, it's the guy from <laughs> the James Bond films. Michael Rucker as well. I know, as, yeah. As Chick Gandalf, who's he's probably like the, the probably the easiest player to sway to take yeah, a dive. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's one of his kind of earlier roles. Um, yeah. I think he had to really lobby to get the part. Yeah. And uh, I think they had an unusual casting process in that they, you know, they traded a lot of the guys for just their skills with the with playing baseball and stuff and like yeah. it, while some of them might not have been amazing it probably was a clincher because I think some guys some good actors missed out on it yeah on I've heard that actually um, because it uh, when because this film took like 11 years to get made apparently yeah and 
originally when he was casting it, uh, Sean Sales wanted Martin Sheen for one of the parts. But then he got, now obviously he got Charlie Sheen for this. And um, Charlie Sheen apparently is a huge baseball fan. And he appeared in a major league, I think, wasn't it? Straight after yes. this. Yeah, um, yeah. But apparently he was one of the better players in John Cusack as well. And I think it really comes across in uh, John Cusack's character, like how much yeah. he actually loves the game. Because he's kind of the he's kind of the guy on the team, Buck Weaver, who's who knows about the who knows about the fix, but tries to play against it. You know. Yeah. So he's kind of in on the fix, but then he decides, you know what, I'm not going to be part of this. And his characters, uh, for me, he was the most interesting. Yes. You know, right. and I've gone through a weird phase with John Cusack. I think when when I first started watching things, I was like, oh, John Cusack, he's great. Uh, we're going back to things like say anything and yeah. uh, stuff like that and then I kind of got sick of him <laughs> couldn't look at him yeah I don't know what it was lately and then he made a lot of crap and then lately I've kind of started to like him again after Never Grow Old he's amazing in that film yeah as um, as as the um, as the villain in that yeah. and uh, probably one of the most nasty uh, bad guys in any in any western ever and if you know what I mean I've seen quite a few and uh, yeah so that's uh, that's put him back in my good books um, I almost feel like what happens with John Cusack is um, he's got maybe signature ticks or things he can't, or the way he speaks or something that sometimes I find it hard to uh, see him disappear into roles if you know what I mean yeah He's a bit like Adrian Brody for me at yeah. times. I don't, I, I don't know about you, but I just find it's very hard to put him in. Even though he's done period pieces, I find sometimes I have to acclimatise. I feel like he's a guy that should be in more modern stuff yeah. all the time. Um, but then when you actually go through his filmography and you kind of go, actually, you know what? He's actually, you know, he can fit into a lot of different roles, but he's not as adaptable as, would say, a Tom Hanks type. He's no. like a couple of notches below that. Yeah. Um, and I don't know what it is. And then maybe it could be down to maybe poor career choices and stuff. I mean, there was whatever he made from like '96 to maybe about 2000, he seemed to be in loads of things. You oh know, my God. Con Air to yeah. Gross Point Blank and High Fidelity. High Fidelity, yeah. So, anyway, look, the cast is amazing. Yeah. Um, and. Also, as well, it should be yeah. mentioned that, yeah, you're probably going to talk about the look of the film. Yeah. This film is shot by uh, Rob, Robbie Richardson, isn't it? Rob Richardson. Yeah. He was obviously shot yeah. loads of stuff for um, Oliver Stone. He's done a few Scorsese's films. He's done, I think, every Tarantino film since Kill Bill 1 or something. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> that's some going, like, yeah. you know, so it's cool to watch it. Like, you know, between him and Deacons. Anytime you, you you know you see their names pop up in films from the last thirty years, you're just going, "Wow, this this is exciting. This is interesting." And yeah. Uh, yeah, so visually, this is interesting. Aspect ratio wise, I think they went with one eight five. Yes, that's correct. Uh, yeah. They didn't go scope on this simply because with the period detail, they had to hide a lot of structures and stuff, and it just wouldn't have worked. Yeah. So. Um, that and that that's fun and it's interesting to hear like that they had like you know they put a protagonist in the foreground to block out like something that shouldn't have been seen and also that made it easier for doing the crowd scenes and stuff and they would find out how many extras they had on a given day and then they were like okay well you know if we have lots we'll maybe use 50 prime on it if yes. we have not so many we can have a, a long lens on it 
and uh, and I thought that was really interesting. And also, what I really liked was the the look of it at the end. So they have this little epilogue, which looks distinctly different. And what they did was they desaturated the image. Yes. And they did a few other little bits and pieces to it, but it does look different to the rest, and it really works. From a kind of a, I suppose, from a narrative point of view, it's a, it, it does feel like if you opened up an epilogue in a book, it does have that kind of distinct break yeah. in it. Um, so that's that. That was kind of impressive. No, it's really impressive, and it ends out on like kind of the sepia tone kind of look, which is also weirdly one thing I watched in preparation for this, just to see if there was any little references or anything. Was the uh, you know the famous uh, Simpsons episode? Homer, yeah. Homer at the bat. Okay. Yeah. Because that's about like an owner placing a bet in his team. Mr. Burns obviously puts a bet in the team, and there's kind of elements of yeah that end that kind of ending, and then it's kind of felt it's more kind of the natural kind of uh, reference, but Homer has this kind of like wonder bat or like this, this kind of amazing bat that he made himself. But in this film, even like um, Shoeless Joe Jackson has kind of black bat and he kind of seems to talk to it and stuff like that and people say oh he sleeps with it so like little things like that you know which are really kind of cool something else i heard was that sales had a couple of the actors or one i think was it david strathern or someone else suggest that they reverse the film so that he because i don't think he was a left-handed player or whatever so that that he could play with his right hand and they've done that in films like The Pride of the Yankees, which is a Sam Wood film from 1942 yeah. with Gary Cooper about Lou Gehrig. And uh, I think sales is like, no, we don't have the budget for it, <laughs> which know, is great. Yeah, no, no. Yeah, I'd heard <laughs> so something So he made that. them learn what to do, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And also it's interesting, um, this film's like, uh, I think he was contractually obliged to have it under two hours. And the film comes yeah, in at I love this. One, one hour, 59 minutes and 40 seconds. And yeah, to get them speaking in that kind of faster dialogue, that kind of hard-boiled new like kind of dialogue, he had the cast watch uh, the James Cagney film uh, *City of Conquest*, wasn't it? Yeah. So I watched the trailer for that just to see what that kind of was like, and it was, you know, it's proper Cagney, like you know, machine gun, yeah, yeah, <laughs> spitting yeah. the words out, spitting yeah, the yeah. words out. Uh, you got a problem with me? See that kind of thing. It was great. Yeah, really, really cool. I revisited yeah. uh, Cagney's uh, *The Fighting 69th recently. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Look, it's not. It's one of the lesser ones, to be honest with you. His performance is histrionic, but it's got good production values. It's about a bunch of guys, a platoon in World War One, and uh, it's schmaltzy. It's schmaltzy. If you, I mean, for me, the good Cagney films are, you know, things like Public Enemy, yeah, uh, Angels with Dirty Faces, yeah, uh, Yankee Doodle Dandy, yeah. All of that sort of stuff. It's white, um, white, white heat as well. That was one of his, wasn't it? White heat's incredible. Yeah, yeah, really I've watched. seen that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, was there any like what were kind of was there any kind of um, scenes or anything like that that really stood out for you or really interesting? No, none. <laughs> 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 well, the last scene, as I say, the epilogue thing, the courtroom scene was great as well, and that scene where Eddie Chicotti or is it Chicotti or Chicotti or whatever? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, where Strathern goes to um, confront is it Comiskey about his wages. Yes, that was interesting, and I think it was even more interesting reading about it afterwards when they were saying that they made the scene progressively darker as it went on. Yeah, I thought that was excellent. I didn't notice that time, but it probably, no, neither did I. But I think the the tone thing, I did feel that. Yeah. So that was interesting to hear that afterwards. 
I think, as I say, the opening, just introducing so many characters at the start was impressive. And that even the opening 15 minutes of it, because that's where you could really lose it. And I think it was wise then to focus on three characters and maybe get to see a bit more of them, their wives and stuff like that. Yeah. So from that point of view, I thought it was, you know, it was was so compelling as well, because I didn't know anything about the story beforehand. And that helped. Um, And it's it's definitely more than just your standard run-of-the-mill sports film no it completely is um i guess another scene i loved as well do you remember the scene where they're all staying in a hotel so the whole team staying in this hotel and guys who are running the the gambling fix are staying in this hotel and um the commissioner for the uh the league is staying in the in the room beside the owner of the, of the of the White Sox, but the owner and the commissioner hate each other, and the manager uh, Kid Gleason tells tells Kaminsky, he's like, "Oh, look, I think there could be a fix on," and as he he has to go in and talk to the commissioner, and then they just have a big argument and shut out shut out the manager. And while that's going on, some of the players are going to meet these guys who are involved in the fix, and then you've got like uh, the. Uh, what should we call it? The uh, Christopher Lloyd character. You've got him coming in and talking to another guy in the fix, and then they're getting screwed out of money. And it's just kind of like a really kind of encapsulates film in kind of one one kind of very simple scene. You know, it's almost like a play almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's so well constructed, and of course, before we forget, of course, Sales himself is in it as Ring Lardner. It's Ring Lardner, and he's literally got one of the uh, one of the best lines in the whole film. Where he says, uh, "Sports warriors of the world unite! You've nothing to lose, but your bar privileges." And he's he's got some great kind of zinger lines, and I was like, "Going, oh my god! Like, did you write this film?" I mean, I think he was meant to play one of the the players at, at first, but then he decided he was a bit too old, so he became, he became Ring Lardner. And apparently, he some kind of like he looks a bit like Ring Lardner, the original. I had a quick look; they do look alike. Yeah, they do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but they, they're a great team uh, like him and him and the other sports writer who, who plays him again it's an older actor uh, is it studs turkle it's studs turkle yeah yeah he's uh hugh fullerton yeah they have brilliant zippy they've that great zip, zippy dialogue don't they yeah, yeah. It, it really zings yeah okay so sum it up why should people watch this film i think people should definitely uh check out a man out probably because you may not have heard of it and um, if you really like sports films but more so if you like films about kind of scandals or kind of gambling or betting scandals um and i think yeah if you really love you know if you really like say someone like robert altman who uses ensemble casts and uh, definitely check out like john says films for sure thank you very much for listening you can contact the show by emailing to extrareal at gmail.com search for the extra real podcast on facebook twitter and instagram you can listen to the show on spotify itunes or anywhere you get your podcast from